What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you to continue our division preview train. We got to keep that a rolling. We're going to be moving on to the central division today. This is once again going to be a two-part podcast. Part one has the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Chicago Bulls. Part two will be published uh, tomorrow. That'll be a Friday. It will have the Bucks, Pacers, and Pistons. I'm excited to bring on Lazarus Jackson. He is a Blue Wire podcast host himself for Pistons versus Everybody, a podcast that will be launching imminently, so be sure to check that out. He's also an editor and podcast host for the Detroit Bad Boys, the SB Nation's uh, Pistons coverage site. Follow him on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow, at Last Chance, at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. You can follow Andy, my co-host on Twitter, at Andrew D. Bailey, spelled like it sounds. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow the show at Hardwood Knox, once again, spelled exactly as it sounds. Also, please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on Twitter. We really appreciate seeing the ratings and reviews go up. If there's something more you want to see from us during the season, any suggestions, hosts that you want to see, guests, something like that. We are being aggressive in, in trying new things this year, so hit us up in, in the review section. Definitely leave us that rating. And again, if this is your first time here, subscribe. We promise that you won't regret it. If you've already done all those things, please, recommendations, shout-outs on Twitter, steal people's phones and subscribe them to the Hardwood Knox podcast. They will thank you in due time. Lastly, but certainly not leastly, please remember to follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. You can check out all my fire tweets over there in addition to all the other podcasts that we have to offer. With all the housekeeping notes out of the way, we get to part one of our Central Division preview with Lazarus Jackson. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. As we continue to plunge through our division previews, though, I'm super excited to be joined by Lazarus Jackson, as I mentioned in our intro, he is a podcast host for Blue Wire, the Pistons versus Everybody podcast. He is also an editor and a podcast host for the Detroit Bad Boys over at SB Nation. And you can follow him on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. We're going to be talking about the Central Division today. Uh, I'm, again, excited to have Laz on, on here as a fellow Blue Wire podcaster now, but also to really just get into all these, I guess, mediocre teams that are in this division. But, but first and foremost... <laughs> oh, that, that hurts a little bit. <laughs> but first and foremost, how are you doing? I am doing well, Dan. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm super grateful because this got me the follow back from Andy. So, like, that's always much appreciated. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's talk about the central division. No, actually first let's talk about injustice where you have been in my timeline for years. 
uh, retweeted onto it, I guess, at least over the past two seasons, to the point that I thought I followed you. And then when I went to reach out to you, uh, I realized I did not follow you. And so I finally followed you, which is, you know, getting a follow from me really doesn't mean anything. If, if anything, it's, it's worse for you. No, I, that, that felt good. I got the little dopamine rush when, like, anyone follows you. And it's like, oh, hey, hey, wait, I recognize that guy. Like, ooh. So, uh, maybe it's just because you if you don't lose a follower or something that's my, that's like oh i didn't lose followers today but you should my follow doesn't mean anything it was just an injustice that i wasn't following you already no i've been i've been slowly like ticking up and so like each each follow counts don't don't sell yourself short dan uh well this is gonna be a long <laughs> podcast then um so we're gonna go in reverse record order as as always uh for our listeners we're, we, I've changed the preview uh, setup up a little bit for listeners who care about that just because we won. We're just going super long on the other ones. Um, Laz has been kind enough to say he's going to do all five teams with me, so I'm, I'm super excited. We'll see how many we, we get to and whether I have to split it up into two parts. But the categories are going to be a little bit different but relatively the same. I wanted to provide the opportunity to just go deeper into certain things so that this didn't feel too cookie-cutter, even though – uh, that's kind of how division previews sort of have to go, at least over here. We will begin, though, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who won a whopping 19 games to go with 63 losses last season. Uh, they made a lot of changes, I guess, well, or at least additions over the uh, over the summer. Their their notable ones include Darius Garland, Dylan Windler, and Kevin Porter Jr. Their notable exits include Channing Fry, David Waba, J.R. Smith, uh, Marquise Chris, and Nick Stauskas. We're doing this category called Fast Four. Uh, Laz, do you have just anything you want to throw out here? Any observations, thoughts, uh, big picture questions that you have about this team? Where do you want to start? So first, I want to start by saying I think that's the the first time that Marquise Chris has ever been called notable on a podcast i didn't know their uh, offseason was so uneventful on the free agency <laughs> margins that he had to be included in there no no definitely but uh when i look at this team the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is like okay so they're going youth they're going for a youth movement they've hired a brand new coach in john beeline that's uh beeline is from michigan and so i have familiarity with him he's heavily into player development like i think that's really good for them but at the same time like the big question what do they want for kevin love and like what do they get for Kevin Love. Like when you look at the roster, the thing that they're missing, quote unquote, is like a a really young complimentary big man to go with their young complimentary guards and and the wings that they drafted this year. Um unless you're like a really big Ante Zizic fan. <laughs> um I can assure you like, I am not. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, okay. So Kevin Love, uh like which which young big can they find that uh, a team is like willing to part with to for like for a guy of Kevin Love's caliber? Like that's that's the biggest question for me. Like we've heard the uh, like Kevin Love to Portland has been rumored forever, but like Portland doesn't have that big guy that like Cleveland wants, you know. And you know Portland's up to their eyes in, in tax money right now, anyway. So, um, like you think about like a Sacramento, right? Like would he would he fit there? Could you package like a Harry Giles or something like that? But like even then, like that, I think that'd be tough salary-wise, considering you know what they just gave Dwayne Dedman and what they're probably going to give Buddy Hield. And so I was like, yeah, well, what what are they going to do on the Kevin Love front, and how quickly does that happen? And he's got, my guess would be that he does get traded unless his contract just becomes immovable. His four-year, one hundred twenty point four million dollar extension kicks in uh, this season, dealt with injuries. 
last year if he just looks absolutely terrible and no one wants him. But even if he's really good, it's kind of like you said, it's tough to find a fit. Portland's been floated around out there. They have salary filler, and I don't know if they would give up Zach Collins for him, but that would be – they definitely wouldn't give up uh, Simons for him. That that seems pretty given, but maybe a future pick. And yeah, and Cleveland filler. wouldn't even, like, want Simons, right? Like, they're yeah, too I mean, busy on point, their own guys. That's right. Yeah, you have Garland, all the guards, basically. I can't even go through through naming them. Uh, one of mine for this team is just – you mentioned that uh, John Beeline's emphasis is player development. I, were you taken aback at all that this is the team that hired a 66-year-old head coach or that this is the time that he made the jump to the NBA? I was just a little confused by it. So it's funny because like he had been rumored to be like in the Pistons plans prior to this. Um, and like that didn't come together uh, after the Stan, after Stan Van Gundy was fired. And so it was a little surprising that he left the college game at all. Like you don't you don't normally see like first time NBA head coaches that are over the age of sixty five. Like if we're just being <laughs> honest, but uh, but no, I think this is a really good fit. And uh, more to the point, I think this is somebody that Dan Gilbert has probably had his eye on for quite some time. Um, as like a big uh, guy, businessman in the state of Michigan, he's probably like been very familiar with like the work of John Beeline. Um, and like this this fits. Like I don't. There's nobody else on the coaching market that I was like, oh, Cleveland like should have gotten that guy instead, right? Like, there's right. no, there's no like, uh, like Memphis hired like Taylor Jenkins, and I was like, who? <laughs> and so it was like, could they have made like their Taylor Jenkins hire? Like, sure, but like, I, I know who John Beeline is, and like, I know he, I know he's a damn good coach, and so like, if that's the direction they want to go all in on on um, advancing their young guys' uh, development, especially from the guard position. Um, then like, I think that's something worth, we're trying. Absolutely. Like you got to remember like John Beeline turned Trey Burke into like the Naismith player of the year, but he was like still Trey Burke. Like that's, that's a damn good coaching job. If we're being honest, I can say as a, as a Michigan state fan, when I got the news that John Beeline was no longer going to be at Michigan, I was ecstatic. That tells you everything you need to know. Well, and it, it makes sense too. And this would leak into what one of my other just observations and inquiries into this team will be is if you're if you want uh if you're going to move forward with this roster you you have those guards to where if he's going to specialize in the offensive development of these guards you 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 don't you need it is basically as i stutter through these words just with colin sexton darius garland kevin porter jordan clarkson you don't really need to develop but you've kind of been dealt this hand even with dylan windler if you want to see more ball handling from him you've been dealt this hand where you have playmakers but none of them classify as just these primary uh, setup men for, for others. And so who is that going to be on this roster is going to be a huge part of this job and also just a, a concern for me. I, I think the three names that come up the most are going to be uh, Garland, Sexton, and Porter Jr. And it's probably between Sexton and Garland. I don't think anyone's going to look at Kevin Porter Jr. and say, you know, that's the guy who should be be running the offense in, in the half court. He might be the best shot creator of the three, but just looking um, at it as a table setter, I just don't know if they're going to find that level of playmaking in, in any of the current backcourt prospects that are on their roster. Well, one of one of my things, if we're just going to like run through this, is like one of my things is something that our Blue Wire uh, co-host podcast and arms brother, Justin Rowan from uh, the Chase Down Pod was, uh, was on at, at Media Day. It was like, actually, how tall is Kevin Porter Jr.? Because if he's six seven and he can guard threes, like all of a sudden he's not 
you don't have to supplant him to play like Garland and Sexton together. You can play all those three guys like alongside each other and not maybe like lose as much defensively in the long run. And like that could be pretty big for them, honestly, like to have uh, a shot creation from the wing and uh, and from the and from Sexton and then having kind of Garland in more of the uh, play finisher role. But as like a really deadly spot up shooter from who can shoot it from like out to 28 feet. Like I, that would be really good for them. That would be, uh, I think that's a that's a good setup for them. While Sexton or while Garland like learns how to run an NBA pick and roll and stuff. It could kind of be maybe it would be the same sort of theory as Portland, but on steroids. Where now you know their backcourt with McCollum and and Lillard, uh, Lillard is a better playmaker than any of these guards on the roster. But you've just kind of overloaded. Um, opposing defenses with guys who can create their own shot and, and handle the ball. And McCollum isn't the best setup man either, but to have have that is big for Portland and, and is a huge reason why they've overachieved relative to their over-unders over the past couple of years, it seemed. And so I guess if Cleveland kind of moves forward with that methodology, but almost expands it to where we're just going to have three guys who are comfortable operating on the ball and go that way. You're right. If, if Porter Jr. is able to hang, uh, I won't even say – physically but it but vertically with guys <laughs> at the three uh, yeah that could end up being huge for them well even a guy you know like portland added like rodney hood right like that is another guy who is you know six seven six six and can and can create his own shot and will play at times with both of those uh, shorter like lead guards but like having multiple people on the floor who can create their own shots is like still a good thing what else you got for this team uh so uh oh the the brandon knight redemption tour um brandon knight yeah brandon knight's a a dude that i've always kind of had my eye on he was a lottery pick for the pistons uh way back when and so and i enjoyed his time even if uh i always kind of like knew he would never be like a an amazing like nba point guard but uh he's been you know just plagued by injuries the last couple seasons um uh but apparently like i've been keeping tracks tabs on him he killed his summer workouts. He was named the uh, the co MVP of the uh, the Remy runs. The Miami based uh, trainer Stanley Remy has a um, like a series of five on fives with uh, with various NBA players, and he and Dion Waiters were named like co MVPs of of the summer. Like that, maybe that means nothing. Maybe that bodes well before a team like Cleveland. You know, I, I you would hope that that's a positive rather than anything else. And uh, yeah, like he's just he's just a good dude and he can be probably like a a veteran leader who's not actually like old and and, uh, decrepit, but like still useful for a Cleveland team that's like, you know, probably going to like leverage a lot of their youth and inexperience. And so like I'll be I'll be rooting for Brandon Knight. I'll be curious to see how he how he's doing. And, you know, he's only got what like he's only got one more year in this contract. So like, you know, if he plays well this year, maybe his neck, he like, he won't get the the contract extension he got last time, but like what he'll, he'll be a useful veteran uh, backup point guard piece for someone down the road. I just, for him to get to that point uh, behind the scenes, he doesn't need to play to have value as a mentor to these kids. Where's his playing time coming from though? Would just be my question when you, they're overloaded with guards. You have, you know, we're ready to talk about, Garland, Porter, um, Colin Sexton, you have Jordan Clarkson, Matthew Della Vadova is there. And so even if you get minutes with Kevin Porter at the three, it's I, I just wonder where Brandon Knight's playing time is going to come from. No, yeah, that's definitely a fair concern. I think they will probably end up trading one of these guys, right? Like They have so many expirings that I would say they'll 
almost definitely something would be brewing, but they're also so close to the tax. I have them within uh, 3 million and I probably actually need to update that sheet a little bit. So you, it's not a matter of, Hey, we can take back more salary, but if they're willing to take on longer term salary, maybe that's even a little bit cheaper than the contracts of Kristen Thompson at 18.5 million Knight is 15.6 Clarkson's 13. Point four, maybe that's their path. Uh, I mean, they have Della Vadova and Henson are expiring too. They just have a ton of expiring contracts right now. No, absolutely. Do you have anything else on this team before we move on to our uh, forced categories? I'll call them. <laughs> no. So the last thing was actually the uh, the the question of what they're going to do with all that expiring money. Um, if they keep all of it, if they you know decide to eat the tax or uh, only trade one of the guys we just mentioned who's an expiring. Uh, you know, w- what will they do with their uh, insane amount of cap space in uh, 2020 free agency? Like, do will they try and be players in restricted free agency? Uh, will they, you know, go the process route and try and trade for long term bad salary and draft assets to to rebuild that way? Um, I'll just be I'll just be curious to see how they choose to leverage the threat of that cap space in the future. There if there's going to be a team that maxes Jalen Brown out of Boston it's going to be them. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I agree with that take. Yes. <laughs> That's what I could see them uh, doing with the cap space. Uh, w- since we've kind of already talked about biggest questions, do you have a, like, what is your, just the one single solitary biggest question or concern or anything you're mo- that you're monitoring entering this season for the Cavs? Is, is, is Chetty the guy that we thought he could be last year? Because if he is, like you don't need to max Jalen Brown, right? Like you have him on the wing, and then your rotation is like the the two guards, Sexton and Garland, KPJ, Chetty, and then a big. Like you you got to find the big. You know, Windler comes off the bench, um, but you you switch off between uh, KPJ and and Chetty on the wing, and like you you play five out like up tempo, new age, twenty seventeen plus new uh, NBA basketball, right? But like if if Chetty can't play. Or if he if he has the year offensively that he had last year, like maybe he's not as big a factor in the in the team's long term plans as was initially thought. Maybe you do go out and like max a Jalen Brown or something. Maybe you uh, you do go out and uh, offer uh, Pascal Siakam uh, and see what like see what he wants. You, you uh, attack some other like restricted free agents a little bit more aggressively, knowing that you have a hole on the wing that uh, won't be filled by the likes of like Dylan Windler. Yeah, I've always kind of viewed him as just more of a four. I feel like he'd be better suited there defensively, even though there are a lot of numbers that wouldn't even support that. What might he, he, he would need to get a little bit bigger, wouldn't he? He just doesn't seem quick enough to go after truer threes. And so it would be, I guess it would vary by matchup then. What might help him though, if you can trust the passing of one of the many guards that they have now is you probably don't want to saddle him with too much ball handling responsibility. And now that you have Kevin Porter Jr. in there to go with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, if you can even get league average passing for them, his his job on the offensive end in, in the half court transition, whatever, gets gets a whole lot easier. Definitely. Definitely. Who do you or rather, excuse me, will this team grade out higher? on the defensive end or the offensive end? This feels like a very softball question. Yeah, no, this team is going to be a better uh, offensive team than they're going to be a defensive team because uh, rookies don't know how to play defense. Kids don't know how to play defense. That's basically it. Like they were literally one of the worst defensive teams of all time last season. (laughs) 
117, 117.7 points per 100 possessions is what they gave up per cleaning the glass, filtering out garbage time. Dead last in the league by a mile. Uh, by, by like two hundredths of a what, two, two point five points, points per hundred. Yeah. yeah. That's, that you is, know, that, that's, that's a huge a, gap. Yeah. That's a lot of points. And I, I, I wonder, is there a team that could be worse defensively than them this year? I think a lot of people have come back to Charlotte, but I actually think that they have some defensive talent on the roster unless they start selling off a lot of these guys, MKG, Batum, uh, Dwayne Bacon. Zeller. I, yeah, so I I would be hesitant to pick them. Maybe the Knicks would be a potential pick. Some people have mentioned the Hawks. It's just tough for me, especially if we get to a point where the Cavs are playing Kevin Love a majority of his minutes at center. It's just tough for me to imagine a team that's going to be worse than the Cavaliers on the defensive end. No, I I totally agree. I this team is going to be so young and play so many uh and be so bad in like dribble and containing dribble penetration and like they also don't have any bigs who protect the rim so it's, it's just just like a, a an avalanche of uh defensive breakdowns like this team's gonna be really bad defensively here's but a, here's a fun, but that's fun to watch <laughs> well i was gonna say here's a a hard question who's their best perimeter defender oh is it honestly uh, larry nance <laughs> it, it might be oh my god which uh, is wild uh, early bird rights has Sundarius Thornwell somewhere on the roster. Him, maybe that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh that... <my> <laughs> uh, moving on to something that might be a little bit more kinder. Who would be your breakout candidate? Just the guy that's going to go boom this season for you. Who's most likely to do that on this roster? Yeah, I think, I think it's Brandon Knight. Um, honestly, I like when I, when I look at guys who on this roster, who I would like actually trust, to run the offense behind the rookies like it's not matthew delavidova who like despite his improved shot um still can't like ever actually get to the rim it's not jordan clarkson who i would not trust to run like an ice cream stand um (laughs) it's it's brandon knight and so i think brandon knight i don't think he's gonna score like 20 points a game or anything crazy like that but again i think he's just gonna reestablish and uh remind people of what he's capable of at an at an nba level and like from a breakout candidate status uh category standpoint i think that's more interesting than just being like oh like uh colin sexton is gonna win like first team all rookie like okay sure or uh darius garland's gonna win first team all rookie like okay sure like the rookie class this year it's not great Maybe Delvadova would be their best perimeter defender now that you mentioned him. I, I, I don't know. Uh, that, that's still a tough question. And uh, so Brandon Knight's interesting. I'm, I'm very intrigued about your takes on Brandon Knight for the team. My pick, it's almost by default, but I would go with Colin Sexton. I was just really impressed with how his shot selection kind of improved as he went on last year. And then the degree to which he was shooting threes by the end of the year. His volume went up. He shot a very high clip from downtown, at least relative to what everyone was expecting. I know his job gets a little bit more complicated because of the other ball handlers they're putting around him, but maybe that allows him to explore the, the catch and shoot role a little bit more. And I don't know that he's ever going to be a, a good defender, but if, if he's at a point where he improves a little bit as a passer, but he's able to just maintain his offensive efficiency while playing both on or off the ball, that ends up being a huge win for Cleveland. No, definitely. And, uh, I think, but I think the major improvements will have to come from him as a passer. Um, he was just 
he improved as the year went on, but he mostly improved as a shooter. He turned the ball over a ton, but like rookies turn the ball over a ton. But, uh, you know, if if you're going to be in a dual uh, lead guard like role with another guy, like both of you need to be good passers. Like I think Garland can be a good passer. Like I'm less certain uh, about that for Sexton. And so he needs to improve as a passer for me to for me to really think about him in that way. Garland by far has got to have the highest or most point guardy for lack of better phrasing potential of the bunch right he's yeah. got those three yeah uh and you're right i mean sexton for a good part of the season was flirting with one to one assist to turnover ratio which is you know not great every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit but there's one problem guys keep buying generic off the rack suits that's why blue wires pumped the partner with indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit indochino is the world's leading made to measure menswear company They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. Looking to get married? They have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's so easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally, or measure yourself at home and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Hardwood Knox listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com promo code Blue Wire for any premium suit, and it'll cost you just $369 to go along with free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom... Indochino promises you you won't go back. Who, who's their strongest year-end award candidate on this team? So I think it's Beeline for Coach of the Year. Like I don't. Oh boy, I'm ready of, for this. None of these guys are going to be MVP. None of them are going to be in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation, right? Like no one's going to make an All-In. Well. I mean, if Kevin Love stays there all year and like averages 30 and is completely healthy, like maybe he could make an all NBA team. But like, I don't think that's I don't both. I don't think he's averaging 30 and I don't think he's going to be on the team the whole year. (laughs) So that makes that part difficult. Um, You know, maybe Garland or KPJ makes an all rookie team. But like, that's not really in the spirit of the question. Yeah, I wasn't even including all NBA teams. Although that would be a good if you wanted to throw Kevin Love in there, that'd probably be a good workaround. Yeah. So like yeah, I think I think the the closest thing they have to like a year end award candidate is is Beeline for Coach of the Year, and that would in that scenario is like they win um like just under forty games and scare the hell out of somebody, and uh, the guards are the rookie the kid guards are much much more uh, advanced than anyone expects of them, and. Uh, and then they scare the hell out of some like Eastern Conference, like lower tier playoff seeds. I wonder how many wins they'd have to get for him to be in a coach of the year running. It, it would have to be like 38 or 39. And wow, that, that, that would be a mad monster overachievement by them. My pick is kind of another default one. To me, it would ha- you have to go with a rookie of the year uh, selection. And the, the one I gravitate towards is Kevin Porter Jr. There were people who would have taken him. In the lottery, he in a lot of mock drafts leading up to the draft, he was there. Uh, you already have John Beeline gushing about him in training camp. And, uh, you know, high-level shot creators, if they're making them, can really stand out in these you know rookie of the year races. And so if they just give him the green light and um, they, they don't put a leash on him and he's logging 
a healthy number of minutes and just comes out as a more efficient scorer than than we expected, maybe he's someone who could enter that running. I do not, I want to make it clear, I do not expect it in the least, but that would be his path um, to entering the rookie of the year conversation. That would be so Cleveland to have the guy they got at 30 be better than the guy they got at four. Yeah, it would be. Uh, Darius Garland <laughs> just coming off the injury, I would be reticent to say that it'll be him. But I mean, maybe, you know, maybe maybe it could be. I think Zion's obviously the overwhelming favorite, but New Orleans is just so deep that if his production or even his role or playing time just gets a little bit lost in the jumble, that it could open the door for someone. So we'll see if any surprises. If anyone from Cleveland enters that race, though, it'll be a huge surprise. Uh, do you have an offbeat lineup that you really want to see from them? So I want to see Sexton Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Dylan Windler, and Kevin Love all on the floor at the same time. I want to see them score like 120 points per 100 possessions and give up like 135 points per 100 possessions. Like I just want to, like, if you're going to be bad, be entertaining. That's what I want to see. And that lineup's going to score points, and points are entertaining. I'm kind of with you. Um, I made this change because you were mentioning that while we were recording, because you were mentioning that the Kevin Porter Jr. looks like he's six seven or something. I want to see that exact lineup. I, I do one want to see that exact lineup, but I would pull Kevin Love and put Jetty Osmond at the five, and then let's really roll. You're Ooh. not going to rebound anything, but you'll be a yeah. No one, no one's going to miss shots. You you don't need to rebound. Look, all I'm saying is, after you buy out Tristan Thompson, after you trade Kevin Love, that's the lineup you just go with. That becomes a staple. That's all I'm hoping for. Ante Zizic's agent is so mad at you right now. <laughs> God, does he does he even have an agent? I think is the real question. <laughs> uh, this one, another softball. Who's a player you think is most likely to be traded? Maybe it's yeah. not because they do have a lot of expirings. It's it's probably Kevin Love. Yeah, I, I want to say him too, but I'm almost just like. Where and for what is there? Is there a suitor you can come up with? Sacramento to me would be tough because you have Deadman, Bagley, uh, Harrison Barnes, and Ariza are probably better off at the forward at this stage of forward at this stage of their career anyway. Is there a team other than Portland that you look at and say, "Yo, Kevin Love could be good there"? What if what if they traded him for? Uh, what if they traded him for like John Collins and like Solomon Hill's salary and, and some other stuff to make that work, just to give Trey like even more spacing. Well, Collins can kind of explore his three-point shot already. My, my guess would be the Hawks would shoot that down very quickly. That's fair. I, maybe the Heat, they seem like a team that they just want stars. So if you're willing to unload Kevin Love um, for, let's say, like a – I don't even know their pick commitments. This, my offseason mode is still there. They have pick commitments at the Wazoo. But if you give them a distant first-rounder just to go with your salary filler for Kevin Love, maybe that's and something like, they're interested in. Yeah, like Kelly Olynyk and like James Johnson and some stuff. Maybe. Ah. I don't know if I would do that if I was Cleveland. Only they could bring because... Dion Waiters back. The Dion oh. Waiters return. <laughs> yes. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, you could even go. I don't know if they if they want to start just these Winslow at point guard. Or maybe they've made a Chris Paul trade as well. And then you trade Goran Dragic if he's not moved as part of the Chris Paul trade. Although my guess would be that he is. You definitely don't give up Tyler Hero in that situation. Nor do the Cavaliers need another guard. Maybe Myers Leonard. Myers Leonard is uh, he's an expiring contract at this point, right? I yeah, think him he's... and Olinick. That could. I mean, that's at that point though. Olinick's actually good, uh, but I mean, Bam Adebayo and Kevin Love in your front court for Olinick and Leonard, and then a, a distant pick. That's that's intriguing and seems yeah. like kind of kind of like a Heat move. I don't I don't hate that. They are fairly desperate. 
I'm going to say Kevin Love as well, just because it's impossible for me to say which expiring contract they would move just because they're, they're not close enough to the tax to where they need to dip under it. So you can look at, um, you know, a contract like maybe Brandon Knight or Tristan Thompson and say they're just going to default to the most expensive one. Um, and yet they're not far enough under it to say that they're going to take on a ton of salary. So Kevin Love is just my pick as well. Um, especially because too, if you look at these expirings, I don't know how much value cap space has in Cleveland, particularly when you don't already have established high-end veterans there, but they're slated to have like two max slots next summer. And so if you don't want to compromise that, uh, you hold on to those contracts and let them come off the books. Definitely. Where do you think they'll land in the East? Okay. So for, so just roll it back a little bit. Uh, so before we started the show, uh, I told you that I, I answered these questions not by team, but by question. And so, like, I have a number for each other team, but for Cleveland, I just wrote down bad. So <laughs> they're they're going to be bad. I don't know if that's 15th in the conference. I don't know if that's 14th in the conference. They're going they're going to be bad. We'll just we'll we'll say that much. The, I think 15th is probably the right answer. Which team might be worse than them? I think I can only come up with. The Knicks, maybe the Wizards, if they trade Bradley Beal or shut him down at some point. Yeah, if if the Wizards trade Bradley Beal, they will be worse than Cleveland. That's that's the scenario I can see. Do you have a bold prediction for this team? Uh, my bold prediction for the Cleveland Cavaliers is that when they strike out on Jalen Brown in restricted free agency, they go really really hard after Malik Beasley, and that is a huge and that will be a huge win for them. I like that. I, I like that thinking. I just wonder now you're just left with kind of like another fringe wing type. If he just shows this year, he can defend the hell out of threes, then that's fine. But he's, he's a super interesting player that I think a lot of people are still sort of, sort of sleeping on. I like that one. People, people are asleep on Malik Beasley and they need not to be. My bold prediction. And I already have to retract, I think one or two of the ones I made in the, in the other podcast, I've already like started thinking about things that, um, uh, make me sort of demerit those. Uh, but so take these with a grain of salt. I'm going to just say that the Cavaliers do not have the worst record in the Eastern conference this season. Ooh, I, I like that. I'm not, at the, I'll probably, this will be called Nick shaming by people. I'm sure it's not necessarily the Knicks, but the wizards are just in a very precarious situation. Even as, even if Bradley Beal plays out of his mind, because one, let's even say they don't trade him. He better not be in a situation where he's going to lead the league in total minutes for, a team that's not going to make the playoffs. You know? Yeah, and if and if I was him, like I wouldn't want to. Yeah, dude, he's had two kids. He deserves a little bit of a break. Three thousand twenty-eight minutes is absolutely absurd in today's load management drunk NBA. That's just right. absolutely absurd. Like last year for Bradley Beal, I understood because like, okay, I'm trying to make all NBA. I'm trying to get the super max extension, and then like two years down the road, like demand a trade, and so I get the best of both worlds. Like now. He, he was non-committal uh, during media day about the possibility of a supermax extension, um, th- and so it's just like I'm not like I'm. <laughs> it's like a running back holding out in the NFL. Like I'm not putting these miles on my body for nothing. Like let's let's just like end this really quickly, shall we? Yeah, and it's for both part because look, if he the goal for him to play that much would be that he qualifies for the supermax, then that lets you keep him longer because he's I'll be floored if he signs that three-year 111 million dollar extension just because it makes so much more sense for for him to wait uh, he has talked about how he could retire now and be fine which i get and when you're dealing with money on this scale you know we tend to 
probably over-exaggerate how much the differences in cash mean, but 111 over three years versus 253.8 over five is a huge difference. <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference. So if the goal for playing him that much would be for him to qualify for that so that you can then re-up him for those five years. But if you're the Wizards, you can't pay him that money after paying John Wall. And frankly, if you're Bradley Beal, you shouldn't want to commit the next five years of your career, uh, really six, if you include the following season skills left of his deal, to a team that's been mediocre for most of the time that you've been there, verging on now now bad. And so... And you can, you can always get your money now and get traded later. That's also fair, but I don't know. He might be... There has yet to be a Supermax that looks good I guess if you want to kind of count Steph, Steph Curry. Curry, yeah. Uh, and Beal is... James Harden. Mm, yeah, all right. That, that's fair, too. I also will argue that Damian Lillard's is sort of fine because he signed the four-year one and not the five-year yeah. one. And uh, he'll be, what, like 35 by the end of that? That's not 34 terrible. 34 was that yeah, one? His game will age gracefully. Well, the thing about Beal, though, is so that he's entering his age 26 season. And so you're right that his contract would probably be eminently more movable than a lot of these other guys on on supermaxes. That being said, from a wizard standpoint, I do think it would be tougher to move him where you're not going to get as much value because people are going to look at the back end of that deal and be like, so we're giving up how many picks so we could pay Bradley Beal $58 million uh, in year five of his, his extension. So, uh, but I, I, that's my, this is now we're really away. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say like, yeah, we, now this is a wizard podcast somehow. Yeah. So <laughs> my prediction is, and it's just subject to change before the start of the season is that there's going to be a team in the Eastern conference. That's worse than the Cavaliers. And I kind of think it'll be the wizards if only because they seem most likely out of anyone to, to flagrantly tank if they get the opportunity. I like it. That brings us to the Chicago Bulls. They were 22 and 60 last season. They do look kind of sort of vastly different. Some notable additions for them. Kobe White, Daniel Gafford, Lou Cornett, Thaddeus Young, Thomas Sadaransky, one of my favorite signings of the summer. Notable exits, Robin Lopez, Timothy Luau Cabarro, Wayne Selden, and Walter Lemon Jr. Uh, they did resign Ryan Archidiacono as well. They also resigned and then got rid of uh, Shaquille Harrison. That was that was just a very weird situation. But starting with them, what do you have on your fast four? What are you looking at when you're thinking of this team? If Jim Boylan makes Wendell Carter post up 15 times a game like it's <laughs> 1992, I'm going to throw a remote through my television. Free that man. That man deserves better. Can I take it one step further and say if I see them post up Laurie Markkinen again late in the shot clock, I'm going to be fuming as well because that <laughs> became a thing last season. Like At least that like I sort of understand that because he is not an amazing passer. And so like if you just isolate him on like the right side of the floor, like you can expect a half decent offensive result. But like Wendell Carter can't create his own shot at this point in his career. He needs to be running DHOs. He needs to be running uh, the passing game for the elbow. He needs to be in pick and rolls with guard with like that actual like half decent guards that the Bulls have. Like he needs to be he needs to be rim running. He needs to be shooting threes. Like he needs to be Al Horford. He does not need to be Robin Lopez, which apparently Jim Boylan thought it was Robin Lopez. And it infuriated me for the entirety of the second half of the season. And it definitely affected him because he was Again, I'm only choppering in for a few Bulls games at a time, but he was catching the ball and just not even looking at the hoop. That's the point that it reached with him. And you know, look, to, to Boylan's credit, he said that they're going to play faster because they have Kobe White to go with. Everyone, yeah. everyone says they're going to play faster in, in the preseason. Well, I, But you can't get away with playing like you did last year now. Just because you have Kobe White, you have 
Sadoransky, you have Otto Porter. Uh, I just, I do think they will play faster and we'll see a cut down on the post-ups. I don't know if Wendell Carter Jr. is going to flourish, though. That's certainly something to monitor with this team, just because either way they play, I don't know how much it, it sort of suits him. Uh, you know, he can't create his own shot, but he's a great passer, but how much time do you want to allocate to him kind of working on the block? Will they actually let him up his three-point volume? That's probably a, a bigger issue. So his his long-term fit there, that, that's one of the things I'm, I'm monitoring too. A lot of people were sort of down with Roy Markin last year, he, and he was sort of up and down after coming back from his injury. He looked like he was sort of burnt out following that, what was it, 80 overtime game with the Hawks, 90 overtime game, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. So... But Wendell Carter Jr. to me is just the, the bigger concern because of how little confidence and tangible fit it seemed like he had on uh, once Boylan took over. Like, yeah, there is there is a distinct possibility that like three years of Jim Boylan just like alters Wendell Carter Jr.'s career in a meaningfully negative way. And like that will be a tragedy <laughs> there. I think it was Max Carlin on Twitter suggested a Jalen Brown for Wendell Carter Jr. swap, which makes a ton of sense for both sides if the Bulls aren't scared about paying Jalen. Oh, I like that a lot. I would be super mad at all the Boston people though. Yeah, me too. It would be, and it's, they lose Al Horford and, and just and replace him with like Al 15 Horford. years younger Al Horford. Yeah. God, so annoying. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need shipstation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com and enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. What else you got for this team? So uh, Thomas Sanaransky is a guy you mentioned as loving uh, their offseason edition of. Um, I need to personally take a closer slash better look at him. He has never been a guy that blew me away. And so I was I was astounded by the positive accolades that the Bulls got for signing him. I was astounded that, uh, uh, on, you know, on my end, I'm a Pistons guy. So many Pistons fans were like advocating for this guy. To me, like he was the guy who like the coaching staff wanted Ty Lawson to play over in the playoffs. And so I was like, why does everybody love this guy? And so I, you know, you look at his numbers and like, I kind of get it, but like, is he a spreadsheet superstar or like, is he actually like a legitimately good NBA player? That is a question I have to answer for myself not necessarily for for the rest of the league. But I think that, you know, in a larger sense, um, with a larger role in Chicago and, you know, honestly with a higher profile than uh, the, the moribund Washington Wizards, um, we'll, we'll get a better sense of, like, what kind of player Thomas Sadoransky is on, for the league as a whole. Well, there's certainly a chance that he ends up being exposed, I guess you could call it, in obviously a different setting, but also probably in a larger role when you 
look at who are the Bulls going to turn to while they're sort of grooming Kobe White to be their primary playmaker. He's going to have to carry a little bit more responsibility. My knock on him has kind of always just been he needs to be more aggressive looking for his own shot. But when you look at how he can play off the ball, he spent a lot of time in lineups that had John Wall, lineups that had Bradley Beal on the ball as well. That's always just having that plug-and-play fit on offense is huge. And then when he works with the ball in his hands, uh, he, he just has like sort of a nice change of pace to his game once he gets into the lane. And it's sort of marginalized by the fact that, again, I, I think he needs to be more aggressive looking for his own shot at times. But to get that from someone who, at least in Washington, was not your, your primary initiator, it's it feels like he's this good layover where he can run second unit heavy lineups. He can sort of be the plug-and-play a starter if you need him to be, and then he can play with Zach Levine and Kobe White at the same time if they really wanted to. He's 6'8", and he can defend kind of okay off the ball. He's not going to you know stop anyone really on an island, though. That's why I like him. And also the money, four years and $40 million, I think it was, or three years and $30 million, excuse me. It just seems like that's around mid-level money now when you look at what the mid-level exception is going for. And so I like that. And it's just, especially for the Bulls who, who need that sort of holdover presence slash someone who can play with um, other ball-dominant talents as they not only go through the Zach Levine era, but also groom Kobe White. On sort of a semi-related note, what the Wizards ended up getting for Sadoransky and Porter in sum, it amounts to three second-round picks, I believe. Just a terrible return. Look, we're back. We're back on the Wizards already. That's just that's still mind-boggling to me. Yeah, well, for me, it's like again, like I don't know, like I know Portis is like okay, but like I don't know how good Sadoransky is. Like, would I trade? Uh, would I trade like two seconds for Sadoransky right now? Like, maybe. I don't know. I don't know oh, how good wow. he is. My my thought process was I absolutely would have paid him that money, and then you could have moved him in December. That was, that's and, fair. And I thought he would have just been easily movable. Anything else that's really catching your eye with with good old Chicago? While we're talking about the guards, what are they going to do with Chris Dunn? Uh, that's a guy who was a top five pick not that long ago. Um, he's a guy who, if I remember correctly, played much better with Levine off the floor than with Levine on the floor. So he's a guy who's more comfortable with the ball in his hands, but like he's one of those guys where he's not good enough at an NBA level to have the ball in his hands all the time. But I think if he's if he's willing to accept a a smaller role and he's willing to be traded to a team that could use him, I think there's a guy in there. I think there's a useful NBA role player uh, along the lines of a worse version of a Patrick Beverly and inside of Chris Dunn. And so, you know, what, what do they end up doing with him? Do they just not play him? Do they trade him? Do they, uh, do they cut him? Like, well, I'm curious to see where he ends up. Yeah, it, it's interesting there, too, because obviously the reflexive answer is trade him because well, he's going to be a restricted free agent. But that assumes that you're going to get value for him. And so if you can't even get a second round pick for him at this point, it might make sense just to let his salary come off the books. There are some tantalizing defensive combinations, though, they can come up with uh, this year. You look at maybe lineups of, let's say, Dunn, Sadoransky, Wendell Carter Jr., Thaddeus Young, and Otto Porter. That seems like it could be a pretty good defensive lineup. Sadoransky would be the clearly the weakest link in there. I Early on, though, I, I guess we'll get a feel. Maybe early on we won't even get a feel for it because if they become invested in Kobe White and you want to play Thomas Sadoransky, there's not going to be a ton of minutes for Chris Dunn available unless they're just completely out on Denzel Valentin at this point. Yeah. I, and the 
the emphasis they gave Kobe White led me to believe that he's just more in the front office's plans and the coaching staff's plans than uh, than a than a Chris Dunn. And I guess you could start moving these guys up. You know, if Sadoransky can maybe lock some time because the the Bulls don't really have wings, which is that's that's one of the things for me is how much three is Thaddeus Young going to have to play, and will we get to lineups where we see Otto Porter at the four? I think those are all critical. Thaddeus Young is best off at the four. I wouldn't be opposed, particularly when you look at Chicago's backup center situation of of having front courts of him and Lowry marketing as, as your four and five, where they're just a little bit interchangeable on, on offense and defense. You have Thaddeus Young maybe defend some fives, and then marketing can be the guy down low a little bit, or you play five out uh, on offense in that situation. But can you get to those types of lineups when you have Porter, marketing and Young in, in the same rotation it it just seems like someone's going to be playing out of I, I can't say out of position because marketing will play the forward porter is kind of a three but where does that leave Thaddeus Young how much he will get time at the four but how much time is he gonna have to spend at the three because Chicago's uh, uh wing rotation is is so weak and that's not a great position for him when you look at what he does for you on offense yeah I was thinking this isn't my fourth thing but I was just thinking because of the strength that they have at, you know, back a big man in terms of playing Larry, Larry Markman at the four and a five playing Thaddeus Young at like, as a straight four, um, playing, even playing like lineups. Well, you can play like Cornette and another big man. Like I was thinking like auto Porter is just like a straight three for them. Like I, I don't know how much you'll be able to see auto Porter, uh, scaling up. Yeah. He might even be in certain lineups if you want to play, Mark and Young at the same time, you could probably get away with him at the two, or maybe oh. that's something. That's oh, well, I mean, we're, look, we're at, gonna yeah. we're gonna get there. Oh boy, um, what is your fourth thing for this team? Uh, my fourth thing is that I really liked the Daniel Gafford pick. Um, he is someone who impressed me at summer league. Uh, he is a guy that I hoped the Pistons would have a chance at in the second round, but uh, sadly he didn't fall that far. Um, but a guy whose evaluations I really trust, Sam Bazzini had Gafford as like a top 10 pick coming into the year, but a combination of like misuse of role and the, uh, the lowered value that big men have in the draft. If you're not like a top five big, uh, led him to kind of make a, a fall. And so like, that is a guy that I have a lot of interest in. Um, that is a guy who, if Boylan wanted to post up 15 times a game, like he could probably do it adequately. But like, again, that they just shouldn't do that because it's a bad idea. But like, I, I suspect that Boylan will, uh, will like the brand of basketball that uh, Daniel Gafford has to offer and, and be a fan of that. And so I'll be intrigued to see how he plays. I, I like the spirit of the pick and I'm not going to quibble over a decision that was made at number 38. However, when you're so short, on wings or just switchy talents why not go with like an admiral schofield or an eric pascal i just that was my thought process going in for them or even they maybe that was too early in theory to go after a talent horton tucker but that seemed like the player archetype that they should have been looking at just because they're so thin on the wings that's fair i don't really think of eric pascal as a wing for well, what he's it's like six nine and just a little bit more mobile is more just my point. I might. I he mean, can, he can guard wings. I don't know if he's a wing offensively. That's fair. Uh, who do the Bulls have that can guard wings beside Otto? Well, Thaddeus Young too. That, I just, yeah, Thaddeus Young. <laughs> well, then whatever. Still, the the spirit of the Schofield pick, or maybe even Town Horton Tucker again, not really a wing offensively. I just if you, I the spirit of the pick makes sense though, and and all your reasonings uh, really hit there. Yeah. Thank you. 
What's the biggest question, though, the biggest issue you're monitoring for this team entering next season? Is Jim Boylan good at his job? That's fair. <laughs> it did seem, before you get into it, it did kind of seem that the locker room did a 180 on him last year because they were close to a mutiny. But then the leadership committee or whatever stopped it. That First of all, every team needs a leadership committee, and we need to have we need to be privy to just intel to these leadership committees. Uh, committees, but then all of a sudden it was Zach Levine liked playing for him. It was just it was weird. It was like uh, it sounded like they he needed the players to trust him, but was like operating like he already had their trust. Like two games into his career as head coach, and was like, no, you you actually like have to earn our trust despite the fact that we're all kids. And then like so like okay, does he have the locker room? Like sure, uh, let's let's say he does. Like then it's an open question of tactics. They allegedly want to play faster. Sure, uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. It's like again, are you are you going to use your bigs as the hub of the offense in like post up situations, like twelve feet from the basket, not as passers as scorers? Like that's going to be a problem. Is uh, like what kind of lineups are you going to run? Are you going to run some like w- with your lack of wings? Like, are you going to run some lineups where you slide like Porter up to the four or stuff? Or like, are you do you feel too vulnerable? to even attempt something like that um like what kind what kind of use are you going to find for a guy with a unique profile like tomas sanaransky right like he sanaransky doesn't really fit into like a nice neat box and boylan appears to be a guy who likes nice neat boxes and so like how is that guy going to be used in the rotation so like i just have a lot of outstanding questions about how the job that jim boylan's going to do like it is entirely possible that he's a good coach is entirely possible that like I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, <laughs> but like, but like until I see it, like I got I got some questions. My I, and I I don't blame you for that. Mine would be, will Zach Levine hit the trade market this year? Is it a situation where you look at his age and I don't think he runs counter to the timeline, but he's gonna mm. have after this season he's gonna have mm. two years and thirty nine million left on his contract. He he is only twenty four years old. He'll turn. 25 in March. Could this be an opportunity for you to either get out from under that money without having to include a sweetener? Oh, wait, or... wait. Get out from under that money? He's underpaid. At 19.5 million for Zach Levine? No. Per year? Okay, yes, he's a really bad defender. But the for. And you can't really ask him to do stuff for other people with the ball in his hands. He could, he's if, did a lot if, better. If Zach Levine was a restricted free agent this year, he would get more than 19.5 million. I don't know. He'd be what the third best restricted free agent on the market, depending oh, on how you feel about summer? like Buddy Hield. I mean, there are teams. There are going to be so few teams with cap space. I would actually argue he'd have been more likely to get m- more money this past summer as opposed to this coming summer. Okay, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about like in the abstract, like as a guy who like pretend he's, that everyone. I would say is, his contract definitely looks a lot better. And again, yes. he did so. He improved at getting to the rim. You can still trust him to knock down three pointers. He had some really difficult shots. My my main point was going to be, I is this maybe an opportunity for them to sell high? I said or get out from under it. Maybe bad phrasing without having to worry of taking back bad money or or including something. I don't think you would have to. Will there be an opportunity to sell high? The logic there is just Otto Porter probably not going to opt out, but only has a year left on his deal after this. And then you don't really have guys making a ton of money. You have Laurie Markin will be extension eligible after uh, this year. 
You're going to Wendell Carter Jr. will then be right behind him. Uh, you have Kobe White, who you can you're not have to worry about paying down the line, but how much of a compliment can he be in the backcourt with Zach Levine when you're looking at both of them playing defense? If there's an opportunity to sell high, I'm not saying they will actively look to move him. I'm just wondering if if that opportunity will arise to trade Zach Levine and, and if whether they'll take it or it'll be something that they actually think about taking when we're looking closer to the trade deadline. Okay, that's fair. I like the phrasing a little bit better on sell high because I do think uh, Zach Levine is a useful NBA player and that the the type of uses that he has um, is worth about or slightly more than what he is currently being paid. Right. And if you said that they – the reason to trade him is not because of the money. So I'll make that yes. much clear. That is not – that contract has not aged poorly at all. And and he's not – if it was, you know, maybe if he was making like six – if he was maxed out maybe, but even then – I don't think money would be the sole reason that you move him. It's just that if there's an opportunity to sell high on him so that you can find someone who better suits what you're trying to build long-term, I'm not saying that Kobe White's going to end up being better than him. I just don't know what that backcourt looks like in the macro defensively. I can't imagine it's going to be very good. You know, yeah, that's fair. And like what I was thinking was like Buddy Heald is probably going to make more than him in restricted free agency and so or, or on an extension. And it's like in that context, like I would rather have Zach Levine than Buddy Heald. Ooh, that's interesting. I don't know if I if I agree. It's definitely close. Buddy Heald is the better shooter. Yeah, yeah. I would almost need to go through this season to see if they the Kings let him do more as a ball. I mean, he can create his own shot a little bit too. Yeah, Buddy Heald's going to end up signing a contract though that might make me like him less. That that's what I can say. Yes. Yes. He is 26. Maybe he's 36. We honestly don't know. And that's something to factor in. Levine is only 24. I, I think – look, I'm a – Heald's su- game will age fairly well though. Right, yeah, and I'm a sucker for, for shooting, particularly at that level. And, I, and I'm a sucker for shot creation. And so we all have our biases. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, his that, – that'll be interesting to compare what he gets to Zach Levine's salary. Is he going to make more – the nineteen point five million dollars in his ne- per year in his next contract. Yeah, that'll be that'll be an open question. Yeah. Will Will this team grade out higher on the offensive end or the defensive end? Uh, I think Chicago will grade out higher on the defensive end, only because like when I look up and down this roster, I see two guys in Levine and Markinen who I trust to be engines offensively, and I see uh, a lot of uncertainty otherwise. I think I would tend to agree with you. A lot of that, though, bringing Thaddeus Young helps. He's always kind of a candidate to Very make an all-defense so. yeah. team. He might, be yeah. the, I, he, he might be the most underrated help defender in the league. And they'll be even better on that. And you have Otto Porter, which that's certainly going to help. I can't wait to see Wendell Carter Jr., Markin, and Porter play together. We didn't get to see that last year. It, it helps a ton for them, though, if Wendell Carter Jr. ends up being the defender he was supposed to be. He just didn't really look it. As a rookie, and like you said, rookies are always going to have a tough time on the defensive end, but he just didn't look maybe – you could tell that the he mobility had, he is had there. He had flashes. Yeah. He had flashes, but that's all they were. Yeah. Um. So uh, breakout candidate for this roster. Uh, Denzel Valentine? No. <laughs> uh, this is, I'll, I'll go with Gafford. I'll go with Gafford as a, as a, as a rookie – as a second round selection who's going to surprise people with how effective he is in the role that he's given. I'll go with Gafford. That's probably a good pick because their backup center situation is just 
really cloudy. Yeah, right it's now. like you're gonna play Felicio instead. Like I didn't think so. I mean, you have Luke Cornett, but what are you gonna do defensively when he when he's your five? Are you gonna get to a point where you're comfortable putting Markman in at the at the five? Um, I I don't I didn't I couldn't really come up with one. I was almost just going to default uh, to Thomas Adaransky and say that he's gonna have to carry just a heavier workload than people expect because. Uh, maybe Kobe White's just not ready or they're not uh, inclined to give him the range just yet. I like your pick better, though, I think. Denzel Valentine would be great. I suggested that he could help the Bulls just because he was shooting really well before his uh, ankle injury or whatever he had. And Bulls fans almost killed me on Twitter when I suggested that. They're just done with him, apparently. So Yeah, as as a Michigan State guy, I am not allowed to say what I think about Denzel Valentine. All right, I'll save that for off the air, then. <laughs> Uh, strongest year-end award candidate on this team. So I cheated on this one. I said Dad Young, all-defensive team. He should have been an all-defensive team member last year. Uh, he wasn't this year. Uh, I think he'll both he will play all, at an all-defensive level, and there will be more attention as to whether or not he as to his like snub last year. And so, like, I think that is enough momentum to propel him onto an all-defense team. I kind of cheated just by going default and said Kobe White, Rookie of the Year. Uh, that just seems like the easier thing to do in this situation. A sneaky pick, though, might be, well, maybe not for you because you don't particularly like his game, but Thomas Sadaransky, if he doesn't start and he's your sixth man and the Bulls are a little frisky and challenged for a playoff spot in the East, that might be a, a pretty good pick to consider here. Would he score enough? Six man, like, they should really just rename six man to, like, the guy who scores the most off the bench award. It should just be the Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford award. Yeah, it, it really, it honestly should be the Lou Williams award. That'd be kind of cool. Uh, the Thad Young for all defense, though, I'll one, allow it because I love, I, I love the caveat in there. And, and you're right. It's just, he's, especially if the Bulls end up being a relatively average defensive team, that's, that's going to really buoy his reputation as well. Yeah. If he, if he helps, uh, if he helps Wendell Carter, like he helped Miles Turner last year, like that'll definitely boost his case. And I think the Pacers are going to, I mean, we'll get to them, but I think the yeah, we'll, we, yeah, we'll, his yeah we'll get to them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, player most likely to be traded. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Is there an, a lineup from this team that you're dying to see? So let's let's get big on them. Let's see. Uh, Sadoransky, Porter, Dad Young, Larry, Wendell Carter. Just like huge, just like swarm everyone. Uh, let Larry be the offensive guy. Let him run like four or five pick and rolls with Wendell Carter. Um, let Otto Porter like just stand in the corner and shoot threes. Uh, and like just hold people to like a 97 defensive rating just get big on them i'd be here for it mine went in the completely opposite direction put thaddeus young in at the five go with Otto porter at the four then you use thomas adaranski and zach levine as your two and three with kobe white as at the one if you're totally irreversibly concerned about defense in that lineup you can pull kobe white for chris dunn because you will get enough playmaking from Sadoransky and Levine but give me give me some Thaddeus Young small ball five that is the complete opposite of my lineup but I'm digging it I like it Boylan doesn't seem that he would uh, embrace he's far more likely to roll out yours than he would be mine yes he is (laughs) player most likely to be traded on the Bulls uh Cristiano Felicio please take our money please He's owed $7.5 million after this season. So it's just basically a total of two years and $15.7 uh, right now. That is, and it's like $14 million worth of dead money. 
yeah, I, I just remember people defending that contract, and I was just even puzzled in the moment. They gave it to him the this, this season after the salary cap boon, too, as well, right? Wasn't that the summer of 2017 that he didn't signed he, that? Didn't he shoot, like, 40% from three for, like, two weeks? And it was like... I guess that's why they did it, and it was just it. You were you were right. It was it was an overpay at the time, but we were debating how much of an overpay, and it turned out to be like a lot of an overpay instead of just like a little bit of an overpay. Right, and the fact that it was if it was 2016, at least you could land like on that. But it's like the Knicks when they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. You gave out these contracts in 2017 when you knew <laughs> what the lay of the land was going to be. The Knicks were like so concerned that he was going to resign with the Hawks. Oh, <laughs> can't get into that. That was one of the most brain-bendingly stupid uh, just contract negotiations ever. That the Hawks were just like, nah, we're good. I think we're, it was Lowe who like, later reported they weren't going to go higher than 4 and 48. And let's even assume that there was like a 6 to $8 million cushion there or $10 million. The Knicks still blew that out of the water. It was like, yeah, we. Uh, I'm glad – I'm I'm glad about the trend this season of teams working out signing trades for their restricted free agents so that we don't have stuff like that happen again. This might be the hardest question of the bunch for this team. Where do you think the Bulls will land in the East? Right now I have them 10th. Out of the Solid, playoffs. Interesting. Solidly 10th. Solidly 10th. Solidly 10th is like kind of a back backhanded compliment. They are young and not great offensively. And I don't think they're ready for the playoffs quite yet, but they are definitely better than the bottom four or five teams in the East. And that does make sense because you, you, you essentially then have to pick two teams to fall out of the Eastern Conference playoff race for them to make it, unless you think that there's a chance Miami missed the playoffs, and maybe you do. So, But if you get to a point where you have to pick more than one team to fall out of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, it, just, it gets tough because... Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Boston, Indiana, Brooklyn all feel like locks. I would say Toronto's a lock unless they blow it up. And then that leaves the Magic and the Pistons plus the Heat and the Bulls. I think those are the teams that end up vying for the playoff spots. It, it'll be tough to crack. Yeah, I did you of, even did you mention the Pacers? Yeah, I did in the first Okay, round. okay, okay. I have them as a playoff lock. The, the okay. six seeds, top six seeds from last year I think are locks with the caveat that if Toronto decides to tear it down, maybe maybe they're not. Right. So, and if you had to pick one of the non-playoff teams to make uh, the postseason this year from the East, I it would be Miami. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd go Miami over Chicago. Yeah, I'm going to say they finish ninth, though. I'm going to be an optimist. Just if something happens, they finish ninth. You're welcome, Chicago fans. That yeah, that just pushes Orlando further down the stand. The standings. I'm fine with that. Uh, <laughs> boldish prediction for this team. Uh, my bold prediction for this team this year is that uh, Zach Levine scores 25 points per game, gets uh, quote-unquote snubbed from the All-Star game. He will not actually be a snub from the All-Star game. And that people are capital M mad, capital O online. That he's snubbed or that he's averaging so many points? That he's snubbed because – that he's snubbed despite the fact he's averaging so many points. I I mean is, how bold is 25 after he just came off a 23.7 point per game season? Well, twenty the twenty five isn't bold. The bold is that if he's averaging twenty five for a big market team, that he's not going to make the All Star game. Yeah, that would that you're right. That's you're absolutely right. That would send people into a tizzy. Um, the boldest prediction that I'm going to have for this roster is that we're going to see um, Wendell Carter Jr. actually end up being a really good basketball player under Jim Boylan. I kind of oh, uh, that's not bold for me. I love Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, under Jim Boylan. 
<laughs> I'm, no, Maybe. all right. So I'm yeah, gonna, no, okay, that's fair. I I'm going to say it. that he emerges. He <laughs> once again emerges as the Bulls' best prospect uh, this season, and fair. so maybe that's a little between marketing and, and Kobe White. Maybe that's just a little too too bold. But I really like Wendell Carter Jr. and I think this is predicated on him being able to explore more offensively. He needs to be able to shoot threes, and he he can't be. Not only does he need the green light, he can't be scared to shoot them. And then I'm just banking on the fact that if he's going to play with Thaddeus Young, as you said before, his defense, there's going to be a noticeable uptick there. Yeah, I like that hot take so much that I wouldn't even call it a hot take. I just agree with that. That's a statement. It's definitely going to be wrong, but <laughs> th- that's just where I'm at with them. If if you're wrong, we need to free Wendell Carter. It, that, that absolutely needs to happen, and they'll be – like we mentioned the Boston Jalen Brown swap, assuming that won't be available if, uh, you know, let's say the Bulls hang on to Wendell. Could, to sell Wendell Carter Jr. now would be, that'd be really early to do so. Uh, but I think there would be a lot of teams that would want to take a chance on him. Yeah, absolutely. That'll do it, Hardwood Knox listeners, for the first part of our Central Division preview. Please return tomorrow for part two, which will once again feature Lazarus Jackson. Again, follow him on Twitter at LAZ. C-H-A-N-C-E, when we'll be talking about the Indiana Pacers, Milwaukee Bucks, and Detroit Pistons. Until then, I leave everybody with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.